0: Rushduni Radio presents Systematic Theology in Two Volumes by Russus John Rushduni Narrated by Nathan F. Conkey Produced with permission by the Calcedon Foundation 17. Christ the Saviour Modernist scholars have at times made much of the supposed resemblance between Christianity and the mystery religions of the Roman Empire. Some have virtually reduced Christianity and especially St Paul's writings, to the status of a mystery religion. Any attempt to see the scriptures in terms of mystery religions is radically wrong. Having said this, we can grant that some within the Church, then and now, did so view biblical faith. We can add further that this tendency is more prevalent now than ever before. Let us glance, first of all, at what mystery religion represented. We know very little about them, because they were secret cults, and, like modern secret lodges and societies, reserved their teachings for their members. What we do know indicates an implicit or explicit dualism or polytheism. Man, it was believed, lived in an essentially alien universe. The origin of these cults was the Orient. They were marked by an essential pessimism concerning this world. All looked to a semi-divine hero or saviour god to guide the faithful to immortality. An initiation ceremony took the believer into the realm of the appointed escapees. There was little or no moral content to the mystery religions and some were highly sexual in their practices and opposed by the imperial authorities. The essential fact about the mystery religions was their doctrine of a superhuman protector, friend and saviour who guides men through this life and world to immortality. Thus, the mystery religion provided not so much a way of life, but an escape from this life and an insurance for immortality. Because of its low moral content, the essential fact about the cults was that of becoming a part of an escape group The cults were antinomian, and hence viewed widely with suspicion. It was believed that no law of God or gods and man bound them. Their main and essential concern was immortality, salvation from this world, death, extinction or punishments. The mystery religions tended to merge easily with faiths in spirits and their powers, magic, witchcraft and the like mattingly observed, of all these cults and their doctrines, quote, from the contemptible enslavement to such beliefs, Christianity set men free, end quote. The saviour and the salvation of the mystery religions was thus governed by two essential facts, immortality and antinomianism. The Romans regarded the cults with suspicion because their influence undermined the necessary practical concerns of citizens and subjects. The parallel to much current religion is obvious. Mystery religion settled the afterlife question, assured salvation from this world, and rendered meaningless the laws of God and man. They were religions without any Catholicity or universality. The early use by Christians of the word Catholic has this background. Rome sought to dismiss Christianity as, quote, Another mystery religion. End quote. The Church stressed first the Catholic nature of the faith, in that the Triune God and Jesus Christ is Lord over all things, so that no area of life or thought is outside His government and law. The King rules over all His realm, and as Maker of heaven and earth, Genesis one one, John one one to three, the Lord is King over all creation. Antinomianism is thus a sin, a denial of his kingship. Second, the faith is Catholic because it is inclusive of all men. No civil government can be Catholic. Its realm is limited. Christ's realm includes all men, believers and unbelievers, and he as king will bless or judge all men without exception. The New Testament speaks of both God First Timothy 1 1 2 3 4 10, Titus 1 3 2 10, 3 4, and Jesus Christ 2 Timothy 1 10, Titus 1 4 2 13, 3, 6, as Saviour. This is a very important fact. God the Father is also the Saviour from Eden on, and in the Old Testament, God is repeatedly spoken of as Saviour, meaning thereby the Trinity in each person. The totality of the Trinity is involved in salvation, and salvation is plainly set forth in terms of a new life in Christ, and as a new life which affects the total life of the believer. In Titus 2, 11-14, this appears very clearly. Quote, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, Righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. End quote. The previous verse, Titus two ten, speaks of quote, God, our Savior. End quote. Paul tells us here first that salvation is an act of God's grace. Grace is an attribute of sovereignty. Now, as the Internal Revenue Service and various other agencies of statism claim sovereignty, they have begun to speak also of grace. So many days of grace are allowed us at times to pay our arrears and so on, but God alone is sovereign and the only source of grace. Second, God our Saviour, Jesus Christ, gives us by his royal grace salvation, a salvation manifested to all men. This, quote, great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, end quote, has died for our sins to redeem us. Third, this redemption is, quote, from all iniquity, end quote, or lawlessness, for, quote, sin is the transgression of the law, end quote. First John 3, 4 Thus, salvation is the antithesis of antinomianism and lawlessness, because it purifies us into a unique people who are quote, zealous of good works. End quote. These good works are to keep His commandments. Quote, ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. End quote, John fifteen fourteen. Fourth, God, our Savior, teaches us through His Word. To deny all ungodliness and worldly lusts, we are to live soberly or responsibly and righteously, that is, in terms of the justice of God. This justice or righteousness is set forth in His law word. We are also to be godly, to live in faith and obedience to our Lord. We have thus a prescription for living which covers the totality of this life grace and newness of life whereby we can live that redeemed life and the sure word of God to guide us in that living. Fifth, this salvation covers our life in time and eternity. Hence we look ahead in terms of our glorious hope of the great conclusion, Christ's second coming and the last judgment. The consummation of history is his victory and our victory with him. Salvation, in this sense, is closely tied to dominion. There is no true dominion without salvation. Therefore, the most common term in the New Testament for Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he is Lord, he can save us. His salvation is a facet of his dominion. His saving power extends over death and life, over this world and the next. He is Lord over all, and hence, the only Saviour. When the angelic herald declared to the shepherds, quote, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord, quote, prefaced it with the joyful word, quote, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Quote. Luke two ten 10-11 This was the great Lord and Saviour of all things, our salvation is total because Jesus Christ is both Lord and Saviour and there are no limits to the catholicity or universality of our faith. Ours is not a mystery religion. It is the Catholic faith. Therefore, we can declare in the words of Psalm 2, 10-12, quote, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. End quote. Hello, this is Nathan, the narrator. Find my past and present projects and more at nathanteacher.com.